everything that we see from our outside world is being digested into our internal world. So anything from skin problems to anxiety, anything can be related back down to digestion in some way. What's up guys? Welcome back to episode 32 of That's So Maven. I'm pre-recording this intro for you guys because I'm heading to New York this week. I will probably be back from New York by the time this episode airs, but you know, I'm trying to stay on top of things after really falling behind and sort of scrambling last minute with the podcast last season. I'm just really trying to stay on top of things. So pre-recording this, in terms of life updates, not much to update you on other than I've been in New York, I'm assuming, so long as things go according to plan. If I'm being totally honest, I'm kind of having a crappy day. There's sort of a lot going on in the news that's really making me feel kind of down, and it's one of those things where it's hard to be in this position where you know people are looking to you for positivity and encouragement, and like honestly, I don't really have any to give. I feel like I'm human and I need that from other people right now so I'm just sort of taking a step back or I'm focusing on work and ways that I can be compassionate and helpful in my own life and just not feeling like I need to be present online when I feel like I can't even be present in my own life so I guess that's my words of wisdom even though I'm just not really feeling like I'm in a wisdom giving mood but let's move on to today's episode because I'm really really excited about this one I don't know how I feel about like manifesting and you know, I'm like sort of on and off about affirmations, that that kind of stuff. But I feel like every time I talk about someone coming on the podcast around a certain topic, it weirdly just like falls in my lap. So I'm going to try and do that more often. But I have been really wanting to have someone come on the show to talk about Ayurveda and Ayurvedic practices that you can incorporate into your everyday life and someone who could really explain what Ayurveda is all about on sort of a a very basic scale and it was perfect when I heard from Sahara Rose who just came out with the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda so really could not be a better fit. She's also a podcaster and a blogger and an Ayurvedic practitioner so she's really the perfect person to come on the show to talk about Ayurveda. So I'm really glad that things worked out. We were able to record and I'm actually going to be on her podcast so stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks I believe. But I'm so happy to have her on the show today kind of breaking down Ayurveda. It's a practice that I kind of know a little bit about like I knew my dosha or at least I thought I knew my dosha turns out I'm wrong (laughs) we get more into that and kind of had a, a sense of what it might be about but I feel like I learned so much from today's episode and that's really what this podcast is all about like learning from people who have cool interesting things to share that might be different from what we usually hear so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you are loving the podcast I would love if you left a review on iTunes I say this every episode so I'm not going to repeat myself here but I'd just be super grateful if you did that and stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear who's coming up next week on the show and some other just little notes that I want you guys to hear about so hang around for that enjoy the episode hi Sahara welcome to the show thank you so much for having me Davida is it Davida or Davida Davida you got it Davida is an Indian name 
people. It's really interesting. People either think I'm Indian or Italian, and I'm neither of those. But well, you look Italian. I do. I look Italian, so most people think it's Italian. But no, it's really just the female version of David. Not that I'm named after any David, but my parents just really like the name. But I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I have like a million questions, so I really had to cut them down. It was. It has been a goal of mine to bring someone on who is an expert in Ayurveda, and it's perfect timing because your book was just released, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. And it is so informative. I've just been like eating it up. Like everything about it is so interesting to me. So it was perfect timing to have you come on the show, talk a little bit about your journey and also just share your knowledge of Ayurveda with the listeners because you're a true expert in this. So I'm really excited to jump in with you. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here. And it worked out so perfectly that I found your podcast and or am the Ayurveda person you have been looking for. So Yes. Yes. Yeah. The universe works in mysterious ways sometimes. Definitely. So I wanted to uh, let the listeners get a sense of who you are and sort of how you found yourself, you know, talking about Ayurveda. So if you want to just give them, uh, you know, brief or lengthy synopsis of your story of how you got to where you are. Mm-hmm. So my name is Sahara Rose. As she said, I just wrote the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. It's, you know, the orange book Idiot's Guide's official series by Penguin Random House. And it came out just over three weeks ago and is the number one best-selling Ayurveda book in the world right now, which is just so crazy to me because I started writing a book about Ayurveda about four years ago. So my background growing up, I was very unhealthy. I was that kid who all she cared about was eating junk food. My mom would bribe me to go to gymnastics by giving me like donuts. I would eat Pepsi out of sour straws. I would like cry if I didn't get Chinese takeout. I would go to fast food, McDonald's, like all of the things that a kid should not eat. Um, And eventually I got really bad asthma to the point that I couldn't play outside as a kid. So Every day when it was recess and all of the kids were playing outside, I would get sent to the principal's office where I just had to sit there until everyone came back and they're like, oh, we did this, we played that. And I'm like, okay. Hmm. So it was sad because it was like I was facing a punishment and I, I didn't do anything wrong. And obviously at that point, especially in the 90s, no one had any connection that asthma can be related to the foods that you eat. I thought it was just something that I was born with. Um, So my allergies got worse. I was very overweight, had a really hard time just like playing, doing sports, anything. And that just made me stay more inside, become like, you know, addicted to Sims and just roller coaster tycoon being on my computer all the time. So when I was like 12 years old, I decided I was going to go on this mission to lose weight. That was what I wanted. And I started researching and like Cosmo magazine or whatever I could find, like how to be healthier and sort of like learning whatever I could about nutrition at the time. It was obviously the information in Cosmo is not the best, but I started doing little things, adding, you know, more greens and maybe not eating crafts, mac and cheese every single night, little things like that. And I noticed a yoga studio in my town. I didn't even know what yoga was. I thought maybe it's like a dance form or gymnastics or something. So I asked my mom, my 12-year-old chubby self, to drop me off there. And it's like a Bikram hot yoga class. And I go in there. And obviously, it's really hard. But I, I love it. I love the way that it makes me feel. I love I had never sweat like that before. And everyone's so much older than me. And I just love the whole community of it. So I started practicing yoga when I was 12. And Again, wasn't popular back then. 
And that sort of sent me down this path of learning about health and healing and noticing that the more I put into my body, the more I would get out of it. And not only did I physically started to lose weight and my allergies went away, I could play outside, I no longer needed an inhaler every single day, but also just mentally just feeling more peaceful and grounded. So continued down this path of trying to get healthier, healthier, healthier until college time, I became a raw vegan because I'm sure many of you guys listening have probably heard, oh, well, killing food, eating cooked food kills the nutrients. So I thought the healthiest way one could possibly ever eat is to eat raw vegan. So um, I was living in Boston at the time, which is like Antarctica, and eating a raw vegan diet. So coconut water, smoothies, kale, this, that. So at the beginning, I felt really great. And I felt like lots of energy. And I felt like I was detoxing from all of these years of medications and things like that until I stopped feeling great. And I ignored the symptoms for a while. I I thought, you know, maybe just something's wrong. I wasn't getting my period over a year past, still zero period at all. Lost a lot of weight, a lot of hair, like hair was coming out by the handfuls. Um, Just feeling really dizzy and tired all the time. Like when I would exercise, it would get to the point that I would almost faint. Um, Craving a lot of sweets, even though I was raw vegan, I would go on Pinterest and like stare at brownies for hours, like became obsessed with just like thinking and talking about desserts because it was such a forbidden fruit. And um, my joints hurt all the time. Every time I like would exercise, I would like sprain something or hurt something. And little did I know my body was going to perimenopause when I was 21 years old, my body was going into menopause. So at that time, I was volunteering in India. I've always been volunteering all around the world. I was volunteering in India, teaching health and sanitation in the slums, still being a raw vegan. And I decided while I was in India, I would visit an Ayurvedic doctor because I thought it was like a psychic or an astrologer. So um, I had heard about Ayurveda Ayurveda in IIN, Institute of Integrated Nutrition. I don't know if you, you did that too. No, I didn't do it, but it is a lot of people have in our community. Yeah. So I heard about Ayurveda and I loved how there was like a quiz that you could take to see what kind of foods I thought that was like cool, but I didn't really think it was very scientific. I thought it was pretty general. Like how can there only be like three body types that work for everyone? And I definitely didn't want to eat like ghee or rice or any of the foods they suggested. So I I kind of just thought of it as like a cultural experience. So I go and she starts asking me questions like, what are your dreams like? Like, taking my pulse, looking at my tongue, like doing all these weird things. And I was went in there to talk about like my hormones and why I felt bloated and constipated all the time. So why is she asking me about my dreams? And she told me that my vata, my wind was so out of balance that at that point I was infertile. Um, I was at risk of osteoporosis and eventually Alzheimer's. So that was a huge shock to me because I thought I was being the healthiest meat possible by only eating raw foods. And little did I know that I was hurting myself and also preventing me from ever having a child when I was 21 years old. So um, I was really upset about that. And I didn't know what to do about it. So her suggestions to me were, you know, you got to eat the dal, eat the ghee, eat the rice. And all of these, I was like, no, I'm a raw vegan. There's no way I'm going to eat ghee, which is clarified butter or rice or beans. Like none of these foods are, are raw. So 
I was like, is there any way I can kind of keep eating raw, but like follow Ayurvedic suggestions? She's like, no, it's just not possible. Like, this is what Ayurveda says. And it's very, very set in stone. So I kind of ignored what she said. And I was like, you know, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. So I went on with my way and everything that she predicted that was going to happen to me started happening to me, just losing even more weight, feeling even more gaunt. Like people would come up to me and just be like, are you okay? Like you look really sick. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I didn't know that I was, I was really worrying everyone around me because even though I was eating, my body wasn't retaining any nutrients. And what I realized now, it's not that you are what you eat, but you are what you digest. And basically my digestive fire was so low that I wasn't breaking down any of the foods I was eating. So it was basically just going through my stomach and sitting in there. And that's why I was so constipated despite eating all of the fiber in the world. I was eating smoothies and putting fiber, extra fiber in my food and still so constipated. So, um, and I didn't know that this is creating toxicity in my, in my body. And I also would get yeast infections all the time. And I, I thought it was just like, I don't know, something that happens. Didn't know I had really bad candida despite not eating any sugar, but cause all, all of the fruits that I was eating that was not being digested. So, um, so I tried everything. I went paleo. I did macrobiotics. I did autoimmune protocols. I did everything that you could possibly imagine. Visited gastroenterologists, got food, blood, allergy tests, everything. And the doctors just said, oh, you have IBS, like IBSC, which is the constipated version. And they gave me some pills and they're like, oh, these can like mask the symptoms, but there's no cure and there's no cause. Like we don't really know basically. So I refuse to take that as an answer that there, there has to be something wrong. It can't just be like, I'm born this way. There's no way because it happened to me only recently. So I decided after trying everything that I would start to kind of listen to the Ayurvedic suggestions, but do it my own way. So instead of rice, I would do quinoa instead of, you know, all of the Indian things I would try to make it lighter. I would steam vegetables. I would add different herbs and spices, not just curry and things like that. And instantly I felt so much better. Not again, not only physically, but also mentally. I didn't realize that I had insomnia my whole life. I thought I, I'm just a night person. I just sleep at three, 4 a.m. Not realizing that it was a side effect of all the vata, all the wind in my body was manifesting as too much wind in my mind. I didn't realize that it's not normal to like be constantly thinking about the future and stressing out, stressing out about it and like replaying conversations in your head. Like I thought everyone was like this. But turns out that that's called anxiety and is also a side effect of having vata. So when I read all of the vata related things, I was like, yep, me, 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 me. But what's interesting is if anyone knows about Ayurveda, there's three mind body types and vatas, which I'm discussing, they don't look like me. They're the kind of people who are naturally really skinny and have like really long faces. So I was very confused. How can I be suffering all of these vata side effects? But I, I don't look like a vata. I look like a kapha. I have more of a round face and like baby like features and I can gain weight very easily. So I needed to learn more about Ayurveda. I was like, this doesn't make sense, but some parts of it are really working. So I went back to India and started studying Ayurveda. And as soon as I started studying it, it was like relearning a language that I have spoken for thousands of lifetimes. And it just came so intuitively to me. And I spent two years studying Ayurveda in India and in Delhi and Kerala and Goa. I led retreats there. I really became immersed in the language and the culture and learning Sanskrit and all of these things. And um, I decided 
right then I felt a call that I had to write some sort of book to modernize this and like create the sort of like in between of like ancient, modern, Eastern and Western. So I thought it was just going to be like an ebook for my blog. And I started writing 50 pages, became 100 pages, became 500 pages, became 1000 pages, became over 2000 pages of material that I had written, translating Ayurveda in my own modern and plant based way without ghee or any animal products. So after I didn't know, obviously, anything about writing a book, like having a literary agent, or I didn't know anyone who had a book, didn't know anything about the process. So I decided I would self-publish it. And I hired editors, I hired graphic designers, paying all of it out of my pocket, which is like super, super expensive. But I really had this vision that this book needed to be out there because there's so many other people like me who suffer from digestive issues, hormonal issues emotional eating, all of these things, and Ayurveda can really offer a solution. So I finished the book, took me three years, and I finally found a literary agent who's going to represent it. And then the crazy part is I signed a contract with her to represent this book called Eat Right for Your Mind Body Type, which is not the book that just came out. And she gets a call two days after I signed the contract with her that we would look for a publisher by Penguin Random House, and they were looking for someone to write an idiot's guide to Ayurveda. So she was like, I just met this girl who writes about Ayurveda. I don't know if it's a good fit. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. So I can put you guys in contact. So it turns out they had someone to write the book. You get six months to write the book because it's like a 400 page book. It's a really particular process. Like you've seen in the book, it's like every page and a half has to be like a fun fact and then a definition and then a quote of wisdom. And it's like a very, everything has to be planned before. And like my first book that I wrote is like, Oh, I'm just going to like channel source and like see what comes through. Um, so it was a very different experience. So the author had, she was four months into the six months and she quit because it was too much work and there were just too many restrictions and she couldn't do it. So they were basically looking for someone to write the whole book start to finish in two months, 400 page, well-researched textbook. So they were like, they send me the table of contents that that author had worked on. And they were like, okay, this is her table of contents. Like, how would you edit it? If you were to write the book, you can make some changes. And if you want, you can just say, I would keep it the same. So I was like, this is my chance. <laughs> and, um, I changed the whole thing. Like not a thing was the same. I changed everything because I was so used to learning and teaching about Ayurveda that I knew that the way that I would want to learn it is not this very like traditional, confusing, everything is in Sanskrit way, but like show people that they're like the book starts with ways that you are already practicing Ayurveda and just like making it relatable. So it's not because it's really not as foreign of a concept as people think. Modern Western health system is based off of Ayurveda. Chinese medicine is based off Ayurveda. All herbology is based off Ayurveda. So a lot of practices that we're doing are Ayurvedic. We just don't know because the term. So I re rewrote the whole table of contents and sent it back to them that that day. And they were really impressed. So they were like, let's see your writing style. Um, can you write us the first chapter by next week? And again, finished it that day and sent it back. And I was hired and just really channeled my pitta, my fire energy. And I wrote the book in two months and now it's out. So that's basically my story. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize you wrote the book in two months. I've been going through it. I'm probably about three quarters of the way through and it is 
very detailed. Like they, you know, like you said, it's very accessible, which I liked because I felt like as someone who's really new to Ayurveda, I could understand what was going on, but it definitely goes into detail. So I don't know how you did it in two months, but I'm very impressed. Thank you. I think it's just, you know, the book chooses the author and I was just meant to write that book. And all of the years I spent before writing this other book was just to prepare me to be able to meet the super tight deadline. Yes, definitely. It all happens for a reason. But I want to backtrack a couple steps because for someone who is listening who is totally new to Ayurveda, really has no idea what it is or what the benefits are of it, maybe give sort of a cliff notes like understanding of what Ayurveda is. Mm -hmm. So Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system. It originated in ancient India about 5,000 years ago. So Think about Buddha, Jesus, all of these people, like that 2,000 years before them. So very, very old. Um, and it was even passed on orally for about 2,000 years before that. So about 7,000 years old. And it's the sister science of yoga. So it comes from the Vedas, which are the first ever written texts that originated in ancient India. And Ve- the word Veda means knowledge. So Ayurveda is the knowledge of life. It's how to heal your body, how to eat, what morning care practices you should do, how to eat right for the season, how to take care of your skin, the best massages, like anything wellness related is Ayurveda. Whereas yoga is the spiritual practice. It The word yoga means union with the divine. So a lot of people, when they go to yoga classes and their goals are, you know, to become healthier or more balanced or more flexible, it's actually Ayurveda that they're practicing because yoga is, is, kind of meditation. It's like prayer. It's something totally spiritual. But Ayurveda is the predecessor because the Vedas say, if you don't have a healthy body and mind, how can you spiritually become one with the universe when like your digestion's out of whack? So the premise of Ayurveda is healing the digestion. That's really the root of it. Because if you have a strong digestive system, the rest of your body will be functioning healthily. So And not only do we digest food, but we digest emotions, we digest pollution. Everything that we see from our outside world is being digested into our internal world. So anything from skin problems to anxiety, anything can be related back down to digestion in some way. Yeah, and there's definitely a focus in the book on digestion and sort of eating for your dosha, which I think we should really jump into the the idea or the notion of a dosha, because I think that's, you know, one of the cornerstones of Ayurveda. And I think it really helps people understand how Ayurveda might apply to their own life. So why don't you walk us through what the doshas are and how you use them to sort of treat or heal your body? Mm-hmm. So the word dosha means energy. And these doshas are based on the five elements air, ether, fire, water, and earth. And um, they create the three doshas, the three energy types. So vata, which I was talking a lot about because I experienced a lot of vata, is air and space. I like to just call it the wind. So if you think about the wind, it's cold, it's dry, it's moving, that's vata. Pitta is a lot of fire. It's actually a combination of fire and water, but it's, it's mostly just fire to make it simple. So if you think about fiery qualities, like if someone's a very fiery person, what are they like? If I'm like, oh, she's super fiery, like what, what would that person be like? Passionate, ambitious, like that that's what comes to mind. Maybe like athletic or strong. Exactly. So that's a pitta. You just, you just nailed it. So 
mentally, they're goal oriented, they're determined, they're strong willed, they're good leaders. Physically, they're naturally athletic, they hold muscle really easily, and they're also hot because it's fire. So they tend to have just a hotter body temperature, tend to sweat more. And also, the digestion is fire because you're breaking down foods. It's, you can think of it like a fire, you're throwing stuff in there, and it's breaking it down. So if you have too much fire, you're probably going to have acid issues like hyperacidity, heartburn, or even ulcers. Whereas vata, which is wind, it's really cold. So it's like if you throw food into wind, it's not going to get broken down. It's just kind of kind of move around. And that's vata. So vatas tend to have cold digestive fire and get bloated, constipated, and gassy. So you can literally think of too much air in your system, and that's bloating, gassiness, and constipation. Too much fire in your system, and that's acidity, feeling hot, even mentally being like hot-tempered or kind of angry. That's all pitta. So it's like super intuitive when you think about it. And then the last one is kapha, which is earth. So what would like an earthy person be like if someone's like an earth mama? Yeah, like very holistic, caring, motherly, that's sort of like warm, like a very caring, warm person. Exactly. So that's exactly what a kapha is like. They're, they're nurturing, they're motherly, they're calm. They have this like just grounded feel to them. They're like the person that everyone comes to and they have a problem and can like just give you a big hug and everything's going to be okay. Like I like to say like Oprah is Kapha energy, Madonna is Pitta energy and Steve Jobs is Vata energy. Yeah. So just them and there you got the doshas. So Kapha is peaceful, calm. Um, but since they, they hold on to things, just like the earth holds on to water, holds on to snow, holds on to heat, holds. And kaphas do the same. So emotionally, they hold on to the past, a um, lot of longing. And even though they're like the calm, nice friend, they actually have most likely to fall into depression because they're taking care of everyone else around them, but not as much themselves. And then physically, they tend to hold on to excess body weight and fat because their bodies are trying to preserve and hold on to things. So even though they tend to eat the least, they gain weight the most. Interesting. So I took your quiz that's in the book to help me figure out what my my dosha is. And I've always known since I probably took a quiz a couple of years ago, I've always known that I've been vata dominant, um, which remained true. But, you know, I got a lot of pitta answers there. So it was almost like I was kind of a split between vata and pitta. So I was wondering, you know, are you... A, a dominant in one and that's the one that you fit into or is it possible that you could kind of fit into a couple different ones yes well from the shape of your face I know that you were born a pitta interesting okay um you can always tell by the shape of someone's face and just like looking at their natural born characteristics so I don't know if you've got to this section in the book yet but there's I think it's like chapter six or four um it's called prakriti Prakriti versus Vikriti. Yes, I have. So your Prakriti is the doshic constitution that you were born with. So it's basically your DNA. Like you were born with brown hair, brown eyes, even personality traits. Like if you have siblings, you were each born with kind of like different personalities. And that's just in your DNA. Some people are more social as children. Some people are more calm, etc. So that's your prakriti. It's what you were given. So the shape of your face is a really good indicator because the shape of your face can't change with time. You can change your diet. You can change your life. You can't change the shape of your face. So pittas tend to have more angular faces, like stronger jaw lines, just like, like well-defined. And that's what you have. Um, and then 
they also they're like normally just like medium sized people. It's not like they're really lanky. It's not like they're overweight. They're just like medium. I don't know. Do you tend to gain muscle pretty easily if you try? Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I could. I'm definitely, I don't like easily put on weight or lose weight or easily put on muscle or lose muscle. I pretty much like stay consistent all Mm -hmm. the time. So it's, it's not easy or hard for me. It just depends on how like committed I am. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you ever have like heartburn or acidity or no? No, I tend to be more like gassy, bloated, that, that sort of deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, you're a pitta prakriti with a vata vikriti, meaning vata imbalance. So prakriti, dosha constitution that you were born with, and it's a combination of all three. We're not just one dosha. We're all three in varying amounts. So I think for you, probably primarily pitta, secondarily vata, thirdly kapha. But then your vikriti, which is the dosha constitution you have today, is according to your diet, your lifestyle, your environment, stress levels, exercise levels, sleep. All of these things can change it. So um, if your vikriti, the dosha constitution you have today, is different than your prakriti, the one you were born with, you're going to experience that imbalance. So probably in your life, like most of us, you're multitasking, you're doing a lot of things. At the same time, you're busy or living a more vata life, which almost all people I see have this going on. It's not just you. Vata is the most common thing to have imbalanced. Um, and that's going to create a vata imbalance because basically you're not you're not naturally born a vata. You're more of a pitta. But since you're leading this very vata lifestyle, you're experiencing vata imbalances. Whereas if you were leading a super kapha lifestyle that you were just sitting on the couch and not really doing that much, staying home all the time, you would experience a kapha imbalance. Does that make sense? Yes, that totally makes sense. So yeah, when people are confused, they're like, I don't know, I can relate to all three. It's like totally weak. We all relate to all three. It doesn't mean that you're tridoshic, that you're all the doshas in an equal amount. It just means that you have to realize where is the imbalance. And you're always treating the imbalance because Ayurveda, it's all about finding equilibrium again. So I like to think of it like a pendulum swinging in two directions. And one way is balance and the other way is imbalance, out of balance. So the more the pendulum is swinging towards balance, the more you crave the things that keep you in balance. It's like if you eat really healthy, you you want more healthy foods. You don't want to go back to the way that you were eating before. But then one weekend, you go out drinking and then eat pizza at midnight and then go to brunch. and and By Monday, you're probably not going to want to go back to steamed broccoli unless it's really been ingrained in you. You might say, you know what? I messed up over the weekend, so might as well just like order Chinese takeout and whatever. And then you start spiraling down that path because you've shifted the pendulum to swing the other way. So Ayurveda is all about just keeping, keeping balance, remaining balance. And every time you notice an imbalance, address that before it spirals out of control. So when you mean imbalance, are we talking about like an imbalance between the three or within a specific dosha? So for me, like it sounds like my vata might be higher than the other one. So it sounds like there's an imbalance between the three, but if we all kind of possess a little bit of, of each one, how do we figure out what that equilibrium is? So imbalance is something that you don't want, that a healthy person doesn't want. So right. like, for example, bloating or gas, as you mentioned, is something that's not normal to you. It's not something that you're, no one's born destined to have that. So you would be addressing the vata things because you're experiencing the vata imbalances. Whereas if someone's experiencing heartburn, ulcers, acidity, 
they should follow the Pitta suggestions. If someone's experiencing mucus, sinus congestion, thyroid issues, a lot of weight gain, they should follow the Kapha suggestions. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's really interesting because I think that's why whenever I take any kind of dosha quiz, I come up as Vata when I'm actually Pitta because it's really, I'm looking at sort of the things that aren't in balance and, you know, a lot of the characteristics or symptoms that occur because you are out of balance. And so it's like, oh, I'm Vata, but really it's just my Vata's out of whack. Exactly. So a good way to, like, I have a quiz on my website, which which is like an, a quiz that you can, uh, it's like interactive. And I separate the results between the mind and the body because I feel like when I first learned about Ayurveda, I was like, this is way too like generalized. Like I relate to some things in the body, some things in the mind. So I've separated the results and I've broken them down in like percentages. So you can see exactly what percentage you are, Vata, Pitta, Kapha in your body, what you are in your mind. And if you want to look at your Prakriti, what you were born with, answer the questions as you were as a child. Okay. As a child, that's before all of these imbalances have started because children are born naturally, like relatively healthy. And if they do have an imbalance, it's going to be related to the, the dosha constitution they were born with. So like kids who are born super underweight, they're obviously born very vata. Kids who are born maybe with rosacea or jaundice, they're born with more pitta. Kids who are born very overweight and just a lot of like mucus issues. And naturally children, so the doshas also kind of shift throughout our lives. As kids, we're all more kapha because we're creating our bodies. It's a very grounding time because we're literally creating our bones that are going to last us for the rest of our lives, which is why kids have a lot of mucus and they get sinus and coughs and phlegm all the time. It's it's normal. But if that continues for the rest of your life, that means your kapha is out of balance. Whereas for children, it's more it's more of a normal thing. And kapha is sweet. It's a very sweet energy. Um, so that's why kids crave sugar and desserts and things like that. They actually hate bitter foods. It's because they're really kapha and they need those foods to build because anything sweet is going to be building. So I really wanted to jump into that conversation because there is a lot of connection between what your dosha is and what you should be eating. So I'd love if we could kind of go through through each dosha and maybe highlight some foods that are great for helping to balance it. Totally. So again, it's super, super intuitive when you think about it. Just think of what what are the elements that you're lacking in. So let's say you're a vata. So you have a lot of the air, space, you're really cold, you're dry. So what you need more to counterbalance it is you need more fire and you need more earth. So what are fiery foods? Fiery foods are something that's going to stimulate your digestion. So like ginger and turmeric and all of these spices, even onion and garlic, these are all pungent tastes and they're all going to stimulate your digestion, your metabolism, make your body basically warm up. Just like when you eat a chili, you literally feel hot. And then earthy foods are foods that are literally grown under the earth. When a food is a root vegetable, you are taking on that grounding quality. So sweet potatoes, butternut squash, turnip, parsnip, carrots, beets, all of these foods have really grounding properties. So vatas go for warming and go for grounding. So a really good example, I have recipes in the book and I'm working on a cookbook right now, um, but like a pumpkin soup with spices or butternut squash or even just for breakfast, like 
sometimes I'll just bake sweet potato and put some cinnamon and tahini on top. Like that's it. And it's just such an easy way to have like a grounding breakfast that keeps you full, satisfied, and it's really nourishing. Because sometimes when you just, especially for vatas, if you just start your day with a green juice or something, your body's going to run super cold and you're going to be more bloated, constipated, and gassy for the rest of the day, even though you're eating the fiber because it's so cold. It's so true because I can't, I I have a really hard time like drinking anything that's cold. People think I'm really weird, but I like drink everything at room temperature, even my green smoothies. So I try to not use any kind of frozen food in it. So people are like, you're basically just like eating soup. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a sweet soup. But it just feels so much better to not eat cold things. I physically like don't feel great when I do. Well, that's amazing because that's a sign that you are in balance because you're craving the things that keep you in balance. No one should be eating anything iced or cold. Think about, you know, historically, we never had freezers. Like humans were never meant to eat anything iced. It's never existed in any culture. And if you've, you know, taken your temperature, you see a human body is about 98 degrees even warmer in the gastrointestinal tract. So when we eat something that's cold, something that's frozen iced is below 32 degrees because it's in ice form. So let's say it's about 30 degrees in your internal body. Let's say it's a hundred degrees. It's a 70 degree difference. Already digestion comprises about 80% of your daily energy expenditure. So when you eat something that your body needs to produce 70 degree temperature change to, that's going to take out even more energy for your body and it's less energy on breaking down the foods, assimilating the nutrients and getting rid of the waste. So it's basically kind of putting a block on your, on your digestive system because all your body's trying to do is warm up the food and it's stopping everything else. So when you're having even a frozen smoothie or whatever else, it's like, it's like putting a block of ice in the gastrointestinal tract, which is already really compromised, especially nowadays with our soil and all that stuff. So it's definitely not a good idea to start your day with it. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Now that's what I'm going to tell people when they're like, you're just eating like a green mush soup. And I'll be like, you know what? It's good for me. So no, I, and I never got it before. And I was like, especially when I was living in India, I was like, it's so hot. It's like 120 degrees every day. Like how can I eat warm foods? Like all I want is like frozen everything. And then I realized like Indian people don't eat anything frozen at all. Even their water is always room temperature. And I, and I realized it's because in my head, I've kind of told myself, or we've all been taught like if you're hot, eat something cold, have a popsicle, this, that. But actually, it's making you more hot because that energy expenditure your body has to emit takes up, takes up, you know, a calorie. It's a calorie burn. It's going to make your body shed, uh, use more heat, and it basically makes you more hot. So when you have something like ice cream or something, you, you feel like you're actually cooling off. But 10 minutes later, you're going to get even warmer, which is why ice cold water and drinks are super addictive. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And a lot of people also think, you know, well, if it's a calorie burner, then aren't I going to lose weight if I drink everything iced? That's what a, a lot of, you know, especially in like the early 2000s, it was like drink ice water all the time to lose weight. But actually, if you're not digesting food, you're going to be gaining more weight over, over time because the food is sitting in your gastrointestinal tract. And if it's not breaking down, it rots and then it ferments and then it putrefies and it spreads candida yeast throughout your system and it makes you crave more sugar so actually it's creating more of a problem than like the tiny amount of calories that it would have burned 
Interesting. Okay, so let's move on to Pitta now that we've we've gone through Vata. Yeah, so Pitta is really hot, um, too much acid. So they need to get rid of foods that are going to create that. So anything spicy, even the onions and garlic that I mentioned are good for Vatas. They're not good for Pittas. Pungent foods, um, there are six tastes in Ayurveda, which I mentioned in the book, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, and astringent. So pungent is anything like onion, garlic, spices, those sort of things. They're heat building. So pittas need to reduce all of those. Nightshades, again, um, they're really hard for pittas to break down. And even meat. Meat is really hard for pittas. So something like bone broth is really nourishing for vatas. But for pittas, it's going to be too warming and too building. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to imbalance their pitta even more. So instead, they should do cooling. Lots of leafy greens, coconut water, mint leaves, basil, putting like dried herbs on everything. Um, in traditional Ayurveda, you're not supposed to eat raw foods, but I don't practice that because in India, no one can eat raw foods just because of the bacteria in the soil. There's a lot of parasites in there. And if you ever go to India, the first thing they tell you is don't eat the raw foods. So Ayurveda was written in India. Obviously, it's going to say don't eat raw foods. So I think that pittas can totally eat raw foods as long as they're not experiencing any issue with it. But I think it's really cooling and can provide them with a lot of like phytonutrients that they need because pittas are the most likely to actually harbor toxins. Interesting. Okay. So now kapha. Yes. And then kapha is the earthy one. So they're really grounded, sometimes gaining weight. So what they need the opposite is they need more vata, more air, more pitta, more fire. So airy foods to think about like leafy greens, they're like blowing in the air. They're really light or sprouts or berries. All of these foods are like really light spring food. So that's what kaphas need. And they also need stimulation because the opposite of stag being stagnant is to be stimulating and moving. So spices, especially spicy things, are really going to help get them moving on a physical level, which is also going to transcend into a mental level. So kaphas are really good. They're Fasting is a really good idea for them since they, it takes their bodies much longer to digest. It takes like pittas normally four hours to digest, whereas it takes kaphas six hours to digest. Vatas vary in between. So kaphas do well with intermittent fasting, either skipping breakfast or skipping dinner and just having two main meals of the day. A lot of bitter foods are good for them. Um, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, kale, cruciferous vegetables, anything with fiber that can help like sweep out the extra yeast or bacteria in their gastrointestinal tract. And they want to stay away from too many sweet foods. Carbs are considered sweet foods because it's still basically sweet is the word for anything that gives energy. So like rice, things like that, they don't want to do a lot of. And dairy products are like the worst thing for kapha. So they totally want to stay away from cheese, yogurt, that sort of thing. So think light and think stimulating. Okay. So now that we have kind of an understanding of, of how you can be eating, how can you sort of integrate Ayurveda with, you know, Western medicine and, you know, treating illnesses holistically? Like, can they work together or are they sort of like two completely different entities? No, I think they can totally complement each other. So Ayurveda was practiced as the leading medical system in India until the British rule. So actually, surgeries come from Ayurveda. They were the first ever to report that you can 
alter human body from the inside. And the first ever written surgery textbooks come from ancient India. So definitely has worked as a medical system. In India, an Ayurvedic doctor has to go to medical school for seven years. Unfortunately, here it's not recognized. So here it can only work in complement with Western medicine. So it's much more of a preventative thing here, like food and lifestyle versus like if you have a terminal illness, I, I wouldn't recommend going straight to the Ayurvedic person, figuring out what's wrong and maybe using Ayurveda as a way of, of keeping your lifestyle in track. Any disease can be pinned down to a specific dosha has, that has gotten off balance. Um, I have these long videos on my YouTube channel called Layers of Disease where I go through every single dosha and I describe like the first symptoms of an imbalance and how they transcend into like really bad diseases such as the osteoporosis and Alzheimer's and infertility that I was destined for with too much vata. So I think that it should just be used as an everyday preventative tool and a lot of the things that we have all, you know, I just listened to a podcast yesterday that said over 50% of children have autoimmune disease today. Wow. Like that's insane. And that's just children. Think about how many adults you have it that don't know. And these numbers have never, ever, ever existed before. Um, in the 1960s, when they did the studies, less than 4% of the entire population had autoimmune disease. And a lot of it is related to the soil. It's related to Monsanto has, you know, I don't want to get into that whole subject because it's scary, but basically depleted our soil of trace minerals and bacteria that are beneficial for our gut. So these are things that we, that we can't do anything in our control unless we start growing our own food. So we have to pay extra attention to healing our bodies because they need to do way more work than our grandparents' bodies had to do or our great-grandparents because we're constantly being exposed to toxicities and we don't have the beneficial bacteria in our guts that our ancestors had because our soil no longer has it. So Ayurveda is more needed than ever before. Yeah, it sounds like that. And it sounds like it can be a great complement to Western medicine. But also, you know, for someone who is just looking to take care of themselves on an everyday basis, you know, understanding what your dosha is and how you can eat for it is one way. But I'd love to get a sense of what some practices are that we, like you mentioned, may already be doing or could incorporate into our routine to help support our health from that perspective. Totally. So have you ever oil pulled? I have, yes. Yes, so oil pulling is so popular nowadays, and it's basically Ayurvedic mouthwash. All you do is you put a spoonful of coconut or sesame oil in your mouth. Coconut oil is the best for pittas. Sesame oil is the best for kaphas and vatas. And you swish it around your mouth. You don't need to do it for 20 minutes. This is kind of like this Western thing that has spread in India. I was like, do you need an oil pull for 20 minutes? They're like, no. So you can oil pull for however long, three minutes or whatever. And it, basically what it does is it strips away the bad bacteria without taking away the good bacteria. So our mouths, just like our guts, have a balance of good and bad bacteria. But when we use like a Listerine or an antibacterial mouthwash, we kill everything, good and bad. So it happens just like when you take an antibiotic, when you kill good and bad, it allows the bad to flourish more. So that's why, again, using antibacterial mouthwash is addictive because as soon as you start using it, you have even worse breath when you don't use it. And you need to use it every day. And then you start using Listerine strips and you just go down that rabbit hole. So with the oil pulling, it gets rid of the toxins because oil can bind to toxins much better than water can. If you ever cleaned like wood floors and you use something oil-based, you'll get much deeper into the pores than you do if you just put water on wood. It's not going to really, it's just going to kind of clean the surface. So oil pulling, so easy. Anyone can do it. It's basically free. 
Um, tongue scraping is another great, great practice that I love. Every single person that I've, I've recommended doing tongue scraping to, I check back in with them a month later. They're like, how was I not doing this before? Do you tongue scrape? I don't. So I have been hearing a lot about it and it was on my list of questions for you. Like, what is the deal with tongue scraping? Like, how is it beneficial or what are, you know, some things that you might see if you've been doing it for a while? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, your tongue is a reflection of your health. So your tongue is basically the very end of your gastrointestinal tract. So whatever is going on in your tongue is a reflection of your internal health. So super important to check in with your tongue every single day. I have a free download on my website about like all of the tongues and like what the imbalances are and like what they mean. So um, if you have like tons of like white coating on your tongue, that's ama, that's toxins. And everyone can like look in the mirror. And even if it's more yellow, that's more pitta. If it's, if there's a crack in the middle, that's more vata. So Tongue reading is a huge part of Ayurveda, as well as Chinese medicine, which was based off Ayurveda. So tongue scraping allows you to get in touch with your tongue and also gets rid of the ama, the toxins that accumulate on your tongue, everyone's tongue overnight. And you're able to see, oh, like, what did I eat yesterday? Now I have more white than I did the day before. Like for me yesterday, I had nothing in my fridge. So I was really hungry in the morning. I just ate like a cup of yogurt with like granola. I normally don't eat that for breakfast, but I just had nothing. And like today, my tongue had white all over it because as someone who was born with more kapha, if I do dairy, especially first thing in the morning, that's going to make my kapha get off balance. So it was an instant way for me to see like, oh, yogurt in the morning or even yogurt in general is just not a good move for you. So having that relationship with your tongue allows you to notice imbalances way before they show up like physically as a disease or ailment and also just getting rid of it it gets rid of so much bacteria in our mouth that we're constantly um, swallowing and retaking into our system and we're not we're not cleansing it so oral care is like one of the most important things in ayurveda because your mouth is like a breeding ground for bacteria which is why you constantly need to be obviously brushing your teeth and but also scraping your tongue and oil pulling just to keep your mouth as clean naturally as possible all right i'm gonna give them a try i have been sort of on this kick where i'm giving everything a try for a month and seeing how i feel afterwards but i have a feeling based on the feedback i've gotten from other people that i'm probably gonna stick to these yeah. And I mean, there's so many tongue scrapers you can get online. I like a, I recommend stainless silver ones rather than copper ones, even though copper is the more traditional Ayurveda way. But, you know, with the copper toxicity nowadays, I say go stainless steel. And um, you can even use a spoon if you don't have one. It doesn't work as well, but like it's something that anyone can just grab a spoon and do. Cool. I'll, I'll start with a spoon and then I'll, I'll put in my Amazon order. Yes. Awesome. So it sounds like there are so many ways that you can really support your health from an Ayurvedic perspective. And I'm just wondering, you know, is why is it that it's become so popular in the last couple of years? Because it's been around for 5,000 years. But I'm wondering from your perspective, why has it suddenly become so popular? Um, I think it's become popular because more people are practicing yoga than ever before. And they leave the yoga studio feeling amazing. And they're like, okay, well, what else is there to this? And then they start wondering, well, what are the other aspects of yoga? How can I live my life in this yogic way? And I think that's what sort of brought people to Ayurveda, which is sister science. They actually are meant to always be practiced hand in hand because you can't be truly practicing yoga when your mental and physical health are not in balance. So I think that's really what started it. And then like what Deepak wrote in my foreword, so um, 
Deepak Chopra was like probably the pioneer who brought Ayurveda into the mainstream West. He wrote the book Perfect Health in 1991, the year I was born. And he has been talking about it for a very long time. So it was such an honor for him to write the foreword. And in the foreword, he wrote that it's because people have nowhere else to turn. There's so much chronic disease. The lifespan is longer than ever before, but people are spending the last 20 or so years of their life just totally sick. And Ayurveda offers this holistic mind-body approach that we've just been missing in the West for so long. That's kind of the missing piece of the puzzle to allow us to live more whole, complete lives, because it's not just about how many numbers you've lived, but the quality of your life. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the physical side, but there's so much about the spiritual side of it and how if you don't feel complete in your life, if you're not, if you don't even enjoy the foods you're eating, it does, it's not going to be good for you because how you feel about the food is just as important as the calories or nutrients, if not more important, because your mind can turn anything into medicine or poison. It's so true. And I think that really sums up, you know, what Ayurveda is all about and really why I've found myself like digging deep into your book because it is so in line with my philosophy. I really do think that the mind impacts our body in ways that even, you know, we can consciously do, but also unconsciously do. So getting a really good understanding of sort of your body's composition and and what it needs to feel supported both physically, but also mentally and spiritually is really important. So, you know, just being able to put that into a science and a practice is really helpful for me. So I know I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more research into this, but I really want to jump into the hot seat questions before we run out of time here. So these are the questions that I ask to every guest who comes on the show. So let's jump in. So the first question is, what's the one health habit you can't live without? Um, yoga. Can I say yoga? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, if I'm not practicing yoga, I notice like my back hurts. I don't feel as happy. Just it is like the thing that's really radically changed my life more than anything. Yes, I totally agree. I like notice when I like haven't been doing yoga. Like if I just haven't made the time or the space for it, I like physically feel it and I mentally feel it. Mm-hmm. So the next question is, is there a business or a business person who you look up to? Deepak Chopra, for sure. I mean, like when I'm, I met him at this yoga and science conference and I literally just walked right up to him. I'm like, hi, Mr. Deepak. Like I'm your biggest fan. Like just started rambling about how much like I love him. And, and then little did I know he ended up writing the forward to my book and we did a 31 day challenge together. And I look up to him so much because he's created a movement, like something that was not spoken about at all. Like he's been doing this for 40 years. So imagine already people don't know Ayurveda 40 years ago. It was totally a new subject. And he experienced so much backlash and heat and got his medical license taken away from him and all of these things because he was like, oh, the mind body are connected, like microbiome brain um, connection, which we now know. So I look up to him so much because he was not afraid of being that first voice. Yes. So what advice would you have for your 20 year old self? Um, do what you love and stop stressing about all the other things because I spent a lot of time like are my parents going to be happy about this like trying to like live my life for someone else even though I knew I knew what I wanted to do was like not conventional but I didn't have like an example of anyone else who had done it so all that time I spent stressing about it I wish I just had spent like doing my thing that like so sums up me as a 20 year old like I'm in the (laughs) or I was the exact same way where I felt like I was 
like so desperately living somebody else's life when internally I knew that it wasn't for me. Like I just knew, but I didn't, I was too scared to do anything about it. So I, I definitely resonate with that. Totally. So my last question is what advice do you hope to get from your 50 year old self? Like what do you hope your older self will be able to tell you, you, you got figured out? You know, I bet my older self is going to be like, you know what, girl, you just need to enjoy your life. Cause I'm always thinking of the next step. Like I'm, oh, I'm, busy constantly just not that I have to be I I like to be I'm always trying to create and produce and I feel like my 50 year old self is gonna be like girl just like go to a dance class and like chill out (laughs) (laughs) go to a dance class and chill out that's a good life motto I think that's awesome well I really want people to check out your book because I feel like we really only tapped into like the tip of the iceberg there is so much information and you really sum it up very well in your book. So do you mind telling people a little bit more about where they can find your book and find more information about you? Yes. Um, well, you can find me on my website. I am sahararose.com or my Instagram. I am sahararose or Facebook or Twitter. I'm always posting on Instagram, like inspirational Ayurvedic things and stuff. So definitely follow me there. My book is the idiot's guide to Ayurveda. Um, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, or Target online. So yeah. Awesome. So I highly encourage you guys to go check out the book. I really, really think you guys are going to like it. It's really informative and it's just fun. Like I feel like it's really fun to get to know yourself better and, and see how you can personally relate to these very old traditions that have been around for thousands of years. So Definitely, definitely check it out. And thank you so much, Sahara, for coming on the show today. I feel like I learned a ton and I'm so excited to share it with everyone. Yay. Well, thank you so much for having me and for your community, for being so open to hearing this like totally new way of eating, but I'm sure they're already like so on their paths that many of them have even heard about it. So I hope that this clarified any questions that they had. Awesome. Well, thank you. So there you have it. That is Sahara Rose. I feel like I learned so much from today's episode, and I'm pretty sure I say that every week, but I really did learn a lot. What I thought I understood of Ayurveda, I was pretty off. So I'm really glad that Sahara came onto the show to explain things for us. I'm really hoping that we can have more episodes like this that are very educational, that teach us about a different way of looking at our health. Things like traditional Chinese medicine and jumping into conversations around like acupuncture and Reiki and... And there's so much going on in sort of the health and wellness space, both in terms of, you know, what's been around for thousands and thousands of years and what's very up and coming and new and and ways that people have kind of fused the two. And to be totally honest, I think it can get kind of confusing about what works, what doesn't work, what's made up, what's rooted in history, and and how to kind of navigate all of that. So I'm really hoping that this show can be kind of a resource for that because I'm someone who both consumes all of this information and also likes to curate all of this information. So being able to kind of help you navigate your way through all of this info, I would just love if this podcast could be that. So hopefully we're off to a good start with that. But if you guys have any feedback on topics that you'd like to hear on the show, then definitely join the THM tribe. I love hearing from you guys about people or interesting things that you're loving lately that you'd like to learn more about. So if you want to join the THM tribe, it's a really great place to do that. So it's just facebook.com slash group slash THM tribe. And as I mentioned in the intro, if you have feedback for me on the show, if you like certain guests and didn't like certain guests and you have areas that you think I could improve, please leave a review on iTunes. Obviously, positive reviews are favored, but if you have, you know, some 
positive criticism for me, ways that I can improve, I would love to hear that over on iTunes if you just left a review. Would mean the world. But coming up next week on the show, we have Jessamine Stanley, who is an incredible yogi and activist and body positive human. She's just incredible, and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So stay tuned for that one next week. Have a good week. Bye, guys. Bye.